I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast 9 and 3 quarters topic of the week is, are all the Weasleys really Gryffindors? listeners, I'm Rhea. And I'm Jem. And this week we'll be talking about if the Weasleys are actually all Gryffindors. <laughs> I brought up this topic maybe like a month ago with us because um, I've seen a few mm-hmm. hosts circling around on Twitter. I don't go on Tumblr anymore, but I imagine you've seen some things too. Yep. Uh, yeah, just about like the house identities and certain characters that people believe were kind of misrepresented in the books. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it would be interesting to look at one of the most iconic families in the book the one that is always quoted as oh all the weasleys have been in gryffindors for like you know generations you know mm-hmm. ron talks about that pressure from like the first moment that we meet him he's like oh yeah i really want to get into gryffindor because everyone else is my, my, my family's in gryffindor so i thought it'd be interesting to actually look at are they all gryffindors or mm-hmm. is it just more of a case of the sorting cat's like ah oh, another weasley i know exactly what to do with you <laughs> And just puts them in Gryffindor. Yeah, actual quote from the movie. <laughs> yeah. It definitely seems like that. You're right. I have seen posts going around on Tumblr and just general ideas about certain characters who really don't seem to fit into the house that they're assigned. And mm. it's often the Gryffindors that don't seem like they fit. Yeah. Mm. So I want to talk a bit about like, the sorting hat and how it makes its decisions and why certain characters are in certain places. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond the fact of just good guy, put him in Gryffindor and the rest can go where the fuck they want. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Bad guys are Slytherin, good guys are Gryffindors and the rest can go wherever they want. I don't really care. There's like Jigglypuff and I don't know, the other one. <laughs> yeah. Coleslaw or whatever it's called. <laughs> okay. So I started off with looking up the virtues of Gryffindor. So the ones that are... Mm-hmm. Valued by Gryffindor House. Obviously, we've got courage, we've got bravery and determination. Those three are mentioned over and over again. Mm-hmm. There's also daring, nerve, chivalry. Some like more negatives, I suppose. Uh, they can be reckless, short-tempered, self-righteous, arrogant. And I put, wrote down chaotic as a shorthand for <laughs> a, a disregard for the rules, generally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they have a chaotic energy about them. Yeah. Did you have any other traits that you thought might be adding onto Gryffindor House identity? Is there something there about heroism? No, not heroism. I put down chivalry and bravery. Yeah, I feel like, like because they're books and this is how the story's written, I feel like there's a a sense in Gryffindor that like we are the heroes of this story and they're the ones who yeah. want to be the ones who save the day. Yeah, definitely. I, I get that. Like, I remember in James, young James on the train when he's like brandishing a fake sword and saying, Gryffindor, where dwell the brave of heart? Like, there's a definite um, heroism theme mm-hmm. 
to Gryffindor House and like the the expectation that excellent heroic wizards will be produced from Gryffindor House. So Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I this is gonna feed into my theories later, so I just want to establish it now. <laughs> so I guess my big question is we know that you can influence the sorting hat because Harry mm-hmm. asked to not be put in Slytherin. Yeah. Well, we don't know if you can choose your house. You can choose not to go in Slytherin, but does that mean that you can choose to go into Gryffindor? I think Harry, in Harry's case, for example, the hat would have either put him in Slytherin or Gryffindor because there's lots Mm -hmm. of overlap in Slytherin and Gryffindor traits. And he sort of sensed those sorts of traits in Harry and was like, look, you've got a lot of good Slytherin qualities, but then Harry's like, no, I don't want to go in Slytherin. I don't want to go in Slytherin. So Harry's like, and so the hat's like, all right, okay, Gryffindor then. That's... That'll suit you just fine as well. Yeah. So I think if it's that, it's that sort of expectation behind it. Like, let's say I'm never longboard. I'm like, go up to the stand. I'm like, oh, just put me in Hufflepuff. I don't want anyone to notice me. And the hat's like, no, sorry. You've got mm-hmm. the makings in you of like a really brave, heroic person. You're going in Gryffindor. That would be a hat stall because it would be a constant argument of like, no, I want to be here. No, I want to yeah. be here. No. And the hat's like, look, I know best. <laughs> like your opinion is taken for account. <laughs> Sometimes you're just wrong about who you are. <laughs> That's what I imagine it's like. Yeah. By the way, a hat stall is when it takes longer than five minutes for the hat to decide where you should go. Yeah. That's happened before. I believe Minerva McGonagall was a hat stall between Ravenclaw and Gryffindor before she was eventually sorted into Gryffindor. Same with Hermione. And, and in Harry's yeah. year... No, Harry's year, there was actually no hat stalls, but Hermione and Neville both came close. They were, like, within 30 seconds of being a hat stall, but eventually ended up in Gryffindor. Right, okay. Yeah, I think Hermione was between mm-hmm. Ravenclaw and Gryffindor as well, like like Minerva and McGonagall. Yeah. Ron obviously feels a lot of pressure to be in Gryffindor. Like you said, he's talking about how yeah. all of his family's been in Gryffindor, and then the hat is just like, another Weasley, I know just what to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> so... How much of your Hogwarts house is influenced by your internal traits, like who you are, and how much is influenced by like external social factors, like who your family is? Yeah. That's my big question. In this case, for once, purebloods are at a disadvantage because they have those reputations because of their magical families coming to Hogwarts for years and years. Mm-hmm. Whereas some half-bloods and muggleborns would go up as like fresh meat and the hat's like, oh, okay, let's actually take a closer look. But maybe with more common names like think things like Malfoy and Pruitt and Weasley it's like oh you know same old same old take a quick look yeah they're fine just put them in that house it's all good like yeah yeah uh in Draco Malfoy's case both in the movie and the book the hat barely <laughs> touches his head before it's just like slithering yeah that always made me think of like I wonder if um the hat feels sort of external pressures of like oh if I put Draco and let's say whatever I don't know Hufflepuff would he get a letter from Lucius Malfoy <laughs> to the school being like, put- <laughs> Would the hat get a yeah, letter? <laughs> put my son in Slytherin, you over, I'll have you stomped on or something like that. So maybe that's the sort of external pressure yeah. that you were talking about. <laughs> I don't think the hat feels those in- external pressures. I was more thinking like, is Draco radiating pure Slytherin energy? <laughs> Big snake energy. <laughs> Or is he walking up to that stool thinking, I'm a Malfoy, I'm going to be in Slytherin, I want to be in Slytherin, I'm a Slytherin, put me in Slytherin. And the hat, like, only has to see his surface thoughts to be like, yep, okay, slam dunk you into the snake house, no need to consider it 
any more deeply. Yeah, that's probably it. And same with most of the Weasleys. They would go up there being like, I've got to be in Gryffindor. Like, I really want to be in Gryffindor. That's where I, where I belong. And because the hat's like, oh, another mm-hmm. Weasley, surface thoughts, Gryffindor, yeah, off you go. <laughs> You're right. I think the purebloods are at a disadvantage because they have an idea of what the Hogwarts houses are and what they represent mm. and who they want to be when they're at Hogwarts. So they've they've got an idea of where they should go before they go and put the hat on. So the hat feels like it doesn't really need to look deeply into their mind and really consider it, and it just chucks them somewhere. Nice. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the other big thing that goes around on Tumblr in terms of the house identity and the sorting hat is a theory that was put forth by Claude the Cat, a Tumblr user. I don't know if I'm saying their name correctly, but whatever. And that theory is that all Gryffindors have to choose Gryffindor in order to get into the house. Because it's the house of the brave, when you walk up and put that hat on, you have to be like, I want to be in Gryffindor, put me in a Gryffindor, and that's the only way to get in the house. Yeah, I don't think so. You disagree? Show your reasoning. <laughs> I I will. It's a nice thought, but I think that bravery isn't always loud, I guess. You don't have to be declaring in your mind or thinking, I want to be brave in order to be like seen as brave by the hat. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are definitely some people that were sort of into Gryffindor, who I believe belong in Gryffindor, let's say Neville Longbottom, who probably weren't thinking, yeah. I belong in Gryffindor and I want to be in Gryffindor. And then what about, like, mm. muggle-born students that are sort of introduced into the world and know very little about the houses, like Lily Potter? You know, she was told a bit about the houses, but she was told Slytherin was the best. But she went up to that hat, and the hat sort of her into Gryffindor. She was probably thinking, oh, maybe yeah. I want to go with my friend Severus because he's the only one I know here, but she got chosen as brave. So that's my reasoning, mm. and, yeah, that's what I think. I guess I've always more imagined it as... Like, obviously, for a Weasley or a James Potter, you're just like, yep, I'm a Gryffindor. I already picked it before I came to the school. But for someone like Lily Potter or um, who's the other Muggle-born? Dean Thomas, the other Gryffindor. Yeah. The hat would be like, I can see a lot of bravery in you. Do you want to join the house of the brave Gryffindor? And then that person has to make a decision. Hmm. Like, when they're wearing the hat. That's how I've pictured it but um i guess what i like about this theory is what claude the cat said was most of gryffindor house look like they were put there not by their qualities but because they're good guys and also main characters yeah so the idea that everyone who went into slytherin chose to be there because they want to be brave heroic gryffindors it kind of gives like a in canon explanation for that meta idea that like all the good guys are just gryffindors even when there's someone like hagrid yeah. Hagrid, who is so kind and loyal and gentle, he should be a Hufflepuff. Yeah, he should be a Hufflepuff. Hagrid is a fucking Hufflepuff, and I'll <laughs> die on that hill. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if you're someone like Hagrid, who's half-giant and who's been raised with the idea that people are going to see you as monstrous, if you walk into the Hogwarts being like, I want to be a good person, I want people to like and respect me and maybe admire me, that kind of thinking would make you be like, Gryffindor, that's where I should be. That's the house for me. <laughs> Look, I, I, I like how that works, but I still don't, I still don't believe it. Um, I think just the reason that mm. the good guys are put into Gryffindor is purely because JK wanted to make it easy. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I think that that's why that happened. It's a nice theory, but I also like my thoughts on bravery and that you don't always have to choose to be brave. Yeah, that you, bravery can just be internal and instinctual even, and you don't even recognize it for yourself. I think that that's a very strong form of bravery that's overlooked. Mm. I I absolutely mm. love what you said, that bravery doesn't have to be loud. Like, oh, amazing. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thanks. I, fe- I felt a dramatic pause after that. <laughs> yeah, it was good. That should be the title of this episode, except that's not how we title episodes, so... <laughs> subtitle this episode (laughs) uh the other thing that jk said about houses and sorting is it's not just your traits but it's also the traits that you admire like the kind Mm. of person that you want to be can greatly influence which house you end up in which is how peter Pettigrew got sorted into gryffindor it was because he wanted to be brave and strong not because he was okay interesting so should we dive into the weasleys yeah let's go i started with molly weasley i don't know about you I thought I'd start with the matriarch of the family because uh, she's the most powerful person in the family. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, this is just some facts that I wrote about her that I thought could be construed as important for house identity. During her years at Hogwarts, she did wander around the grounds at night. That's something that we know about her years at Hogwarts. So she also brewed a love potion. Mm, not cute. These are just facts I've written about her personality. She's never afraid to lay down mm. the law. Motherly, nurturing, compassionate. She, um, in terms of Harry, she never treated him as a famous person, but as a vulnerable boy. So she always saw him first as a child and then as, you you know, like Harry Mm -hmm. Potter. Like it was never that sort of boundary there. She always believes that she knows Mm -hmm. best. She's talented at dueling and she never misses a trick, (laughs) which makes me think that, um, I, I, I was thinking of that time in seventh book when, the trio were like preparing for Bill and Fleur's wedding and they keep on trying to sneak in together to like talk about the Horcrux mm-hmm. hunt. And Molly's like knows that they're up to something and she keeps on separating them and putting them on different tasks. <laughs> like she never misses a trick like that. Yeah. And I think that that's probably because Molly herself tried to pull a lot of tricks like that when she was their age too. And so she knows how to spot it. <laughs> uh, Molly's so great. <laughs> yeah. Those are some facts I wrote down about her. Do you have any other, um, mentions about molly i wrote down like some of the brave things that each of the weasleys did so molly was in the order of the phoenix Mm. she fought in the final battle she killed bellatrix also what you were saying in terms of she's always right or she won't admit that she's wrong um she definitely takes no shit yeah she's very stubborn i was thinking (laughs) when yes when the weasley twins were sort of neglecting their grades and focusing more on the joke shop and blah, 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 blah. But Molly was very much discouraging that and trying to stop them from inventing joke shop things because she wanted them to get jobs at the ministry and be respectable yeah. members of society. She was actually wrong in the end. Like, obviously their joke shop was a great idea and it's where they should have been, where they absolutely belong. Yeah. I don't know if she ever admitted she was wrong, though. (laughs) No. She always believes that she's right, is what I said. Especially when it comes to her children, she always tries to put what she thinks are their best interests at heart, even if it's not true, especially when it comes to Fred and George. Mm -hmm. But that's big mum energy, though. Like, having this idea of what your children That's big mum energy. And refusing (laughs) to accept anything less. That's big mum energy. Uh, the other thing, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the other thing is that uh, Molly is just such, in like a everyday domestic sense, such a source of warmth and comfort and love. I don't have a point that I'm making there. I just yeah. we should acknowledge yeah. that about Molly. <laughs> yeah, she's so full of 
attentiveness and compassion for the people around her and the people that she cares for deeply and not just necessarily her family and her children but people that she adopts into her family like harry people mm-hmm. in the order like tonks and remus she has such a genuine uh concern for others well-being um even if she can be a bit standoffish at first like Flo, <laughs> she <Yeah>. eventually <laughs> accepts Flo into her family too and part of her circle of warmth i guess you could say mm-hmm. so she's very loving and she's so willing to share with people as well. Like, obviously, constantly bringing Harry into her home and feeding him and all that sort of stuff. But what you said with Fleur reminded me of it. She was so cold towards Fleur mm. this whole time. But then as soon as she accepts Fleur into the family, I think what she says is, oh, my great-aunt Muriel has this beautiful goblin-made tiara and you'd look beautiful in it. Yeah. Like, this is a treasure that Molly has and Molly doesn't have a lot of treasures like that. And she's just like this person's my daughter and I think she should wear this tiara. And yeah. Yeah. That's a really sweet moment that I like. She said something like it would look lovely in your hair. And like that to me rang as something Mm. like Molly had obviously thought this before. She'd had this thought before, like, oh, Fleur would go well with the moonstones and that tiara. But like it had always been dismissed because like, oh, Fleur's not part of the family. She's not good for Bill. But then when that moment changed, she's like, no, she'll she'll be fine. She's good. I wonder if that's something that – this is just pure headcanon at this point. But what if Molly wanted to wear the tiara at her wedding, but Muriel wouldn't give it to her because she was like, those moonstones would look terrible. They'll clash with your hair. Aww. Like, what if Molly is notable in the Pruitt family because she's got this red hair? But that's a Weasley trait, obviously. Yeah. Who knows? That's completely unrelated to what we're talking about, but I just had the thought and I had to share it. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about Molly? What house do you think she belongs in? such a Gryffindor. I really don't think that, like, you could maybe make a case for Hufflepuff. Yeah. But Gryffindor, I don't see any argument there. Yeah, me too. I I wrote down Gryffindor and then I had like a small brackets, maybe Hufflepuff, but I think she's more Gryffindor Mm. than Hufflepuff. She's got more of a a fierceness and a stubbornness and a protectiveness rather than um, hardworking, loyal. Although she is loving and loyal and compassionate. Her strong features are her strength That's and courage. That's so hardworking. Yeah. yeah. Um, her strongest, most dominant features are her strength and passion and anger and fieriness, but also like her resoluteness. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too that she's not a Weasley. She wasn't born a Weasley. So the fact that she was sorted into Gryffindor isn't just a, oh, another Weasley sort of thing. Yeah. She was chosen for Gryffindor as a Pruitt. So should we go on to Arthur Weasley? Yes. <laughs> What do you want to say about Arthur? Okay, brave moments for Arthur. He was also in the Order of the Phoenix. He also fought in the final battle. By the way, every single member of the Weasley family fought in the final battle, so I'm going to mention that for all of them. That's a Weasley trait. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) fighting in the final battle. (laughs) I also had that he got into a physical fight with Lucius Malfoy. Excellent. In the second book, (laughs) because I took special note of any time that someone got into a physical fight because I love the idea of wizards just being like, fuck wands, I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah, that's very Gryffindor. That's such a Gryffindor trait. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was also attacked by Nagini, which is truly horrible. But then, like, days later, was smiling and laughing and being like, Haha, whatever. And yeah. he just moved on with his life. Yeah. Put on such a brave face for his children. Yeah. That's the kind of quiet bravery that you were talking about, like getting over a huge traumatic event like that. I have some other facts here about Arthur. He's a staunch believer in equality for all. And that's like wizards, witches, muggles. 
I also had that he walked around at night after hours while he was at school. Mm-hmm. He pushed the limits of the law with the flying Ford Anglia and several other like muggle magical devices that he has at his home, but he didn't push the limits of the law technically because he wrote the laws to have a loophole. So <laughs> that's an interesting little quirk with him. See, what I like <laughs> about that is pushing the limits of the law and being like, technically I'm not breaking them. That's a Gryffindor trait. But writing the laws so that you can do whatever you want without getting arrested, that's a Slytherin trait. That is. Like, <laughs> I wrote down about the punch up in the bookshop with Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. I wrote down just in terms of stuff, like general uh, personality stuff. He's very paternal, caring, and mm-hmm. familial. Uh, he has strong ideas of family and what it means to be a good family unit. Like yeah. when um, they were leaving for the World Cup from the Dursley house and the Dursleys didn't even say goodbye to Harry. Arthur got very upset with that. He was like, you're like, He's about to leave and you're not even going to say goodbye to him. And yeah. like, he's trying to teach them about like manners and empathy. Oh, he's such a good man. I love Arthur. I know. I love everyone in Harry good- <laughs> So good. Mm. Arthur Weasley is also unceasingly curious and delighted by what he does not understand, which I think that yes. to me speaks like a Ravenclaw trait because mm-hmm. to find something that you don't quite understand, like another world so beyond what you live in and not be repulsed by it or frightened by it, or ignore Mm. it but to be delighted by it and to want to learn more about it that's very Ravenclaw to me yes yeah so is and that's a huge part of his personality yeah I've seen so many people being like Arthur's curiosity and his fascination with the muggle world and his desire to take things apart and see how they work and all that sort of stuff that's such a great example of a Ravenclaw trait because Ravenclaws have this idea that like it's the bookish academic smart thing but i like the ravenclaw traits that are more like the lunar lovegood traits where you're a bit quirky and eccentric and intelligent in a way that's not necessarily down on paper getting good grades in school kind of thing yeah and he has such a wisdom about the world like he, he often comes out with really good quotes like um never trust anything if you can't see where it keeps its brain and he's like talking about Muggle baiting, like it may seem like a joke, but it comes from a very deep, dark side of wizard culture and all this sort of stuff. And he's got such um, yeah, wise and uh, caring worldviews. And for me, I, I, I was sort of like even split for me between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw because I couldn't really mm-hmm. pick him as either one. I just want to say that like dispensing that kind of wisdom about like this might seem like a funny joke, but it actually comes from like your own bigotry. That's big dad yeah. energy. <laughs> Big dad energy, yes. (laughs) Yes. The thing that I want to say about whether he's a Ravenclaw or not is, um, like I was saying, a lot of people argue that his love of muggle stuff is a Ravenclaw trait. But I want to draw attention to the way that for his entire career at the Ministry of Magic, he was such a vocal supporter of muggle rights that it kind of ruined his career. Molly says something like, Yeah. Uh, Cornelius Fudge has always, you know, put him in this tiny little office and not paid attention to him and never given him a promotion because he doesn't like mm. how much Arthur Weasley cares about muggles. So yeah. refusing to compromise on what you know is right, even when it's screwing you over every day, year after year after year, even when it's costing your family like money that you could have gotten if you'd gotten that promotion. Mm-hmm. That's Gryffindor to me. That's sort of that quiet bravery that you're talking about again. Yeah, I like that actually, because you're right. 
Like, the curiosity in itself could be deemed as a Ravenclaw trait, but the way that he, let's say, exercises his curiosity and his passion for muggle stuff is in a brave way. It's in a way of, like, mm-hmm. standing up for the people who are marginalised against in your society. So that's a very courageous move. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say that his main impetus towards that is not just curiosity, it's it's um courage. Yeah. I wonder if we're going to conclude that any of them aren't Gryffindor. <laughs> Because I love the idea that we've called. Oh, I, I have. <laughs> Sorry, I love the idea that we've called out JK and been like, you just put all the heroes in Gryffindor and you don't even blah, blah, blah. And then, like, we're like, actually, no, all of them are Gryffindors. <laughs> we have to eat our words. Okay, well, all right. Molly and Arthur I had as, like, halvesy halvesies, maybe either way. But others I have definites. I think they're in this one house and this one house only. Bill Weasley. Bill Weasley. Mm hmm. I don't have much on Bill. Yeah. All I've got is that he was also in the Order. He was a curse breaker, which sounds like a dangerous job that you need to be brave to do. Mm-hmm. He also fought in the final battle. He was attacked by a werewolf and got over that injury and continued on with his life, which is that surviving trauma, that kind of quiet bravery once again. Ron said that he was the only member of the Weasley family that would understand, the one that he could go and talk to and yeah. share his failings with. Yeah. And wouldn't be judged. Yes. That's the, my most notable stuff about Bill. And also that he had like a sick earring and a really cool haircut, <laughs> even though his mother disapproved. Yeah, I wrote down one of my dog points was sexy. Just, one of my dog points for Bill was just cool. <laughs> yeah. Bill's cool. He's he was prefect and head boy while he was at Hogwarts, so that must mean he had good academics, yeah. and was moderately well-behaved. I mean, Dumbledore's a favoritism guy, but, like, you'd have to assume he wasn't, like, killing students mm. left, right, and center. <laughs> killing students, the one thing that gets you expelled. The only thing that gets you expelled. Bill, I also wrote down that he, <laughs> he did some diplomacy with the goblins. That was sort of his job when he was hired for the Order, to yeah. When he was doing his desk job, I think, when he was sort of dating Fleur Delacour, uh, he has to be diplomatic with the goblins. That requires a bit of tact. He's very laid back and easygoing and lively and fun. Uh, uh, very much I see him as like a moral leader for the siblings because he's the eldest sibling. He has to be mm. the one that they can all come to for advice and, and help. I see him as like he was a bit of a wild child when he was younger. Like he was mm. sort of Fred and George inspiration before they became Fred and George. But yeah. then when he's grown up and when he got into like his later years of Hogwarts and graduated, he's really mellowed out and become like that chill older brother that you can go to with anything because he's done it all and he'll give you good advice and he won't write you out to mum and dad. Yeah, definitely. I put Bill down as either a Gryffindor or a Ravenclaw. I, what Ravenclaw traits are you seeing in him? To become a curse breaker, you have to put in a lot of like academic work because it's not just a, about like, um, you know, having guts to be able to go excavating Egyptian tombs or whatever. You have to be very intelligent. You have to know mm-hmm. your spells. You have to study hard. He was also head boy and he was a prefect. So that shows that he had a respect for the rules because he was able to enforce them in his later years. I definitely see him as someone, like like you were saying before, how Ron was able to go to Bill and Bill would be the only one of the Weasleys that would understand. Ron was saying that he, if he tried to go back to the borough, they would have shunned him. They would have disowned him. They would have been so disappointed in him. But mm. Bill took him in. He he heard him out and listened to him. And that makes me think that Bill's – he has that noble streak that all the Weasleys have. That's a Weasley quality. But I think that he's not so yeah. stubborn and so righteous like a Gryffindor is that he can see past – he can see the bigger picture and be like, okay, 
things were things were rough. You made a bad decision. You feel bad about it. I'll just come under my wing and I'll give you advice and help you out. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. that's more of a raven, more forgiving. Yeah, a Ravenclaw sort of quality because he can analyze it in a in a bigger picture sense rather than mm-hmm. purely going off gut emotion, which a Gryffindor would do. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I put him as a Ravenclaw or a Gryffindor. I definitely see those Ravenclaw qualities in him. But I think he's just more Gryffindor. Hmm. I understand what you're saying in terms of, you know, he had to be hardworking and have a lot of respect for the rules and stuff to become a curse breaker. But it's the fact that he put in all those hard yards to be a curse breaker, what's got to be a highly dangerous career. Yeah. Like, he could have also worked really hard and had a lot of respect for the rules and ended up as a lawyer or a some sort of desk job. Yeah. But he decided that he wants to be raiding tombs and fighting ancient curses and all that sort of nonsense. Yeah. That's Gryffindor to me. It's an adventure-seeking job. Yeah. I see the case for Ravenclaw Bill, but ultimately I think he's a Gryffindor. Yeah. I agree. I had it at like 80% Gryffindor, maybe 20% Ravenclaw in, in my head. That feels about right. Yeah. But I just want to make the case. Charlie. Dragon boy. Beautiful boy. <laughs> Why can't we date him in Hogwarts <laughs> mystery yet? <laughs> I know. When's that update going to come? Make Charlie a romanceable option. Come on. Unless you believe that he's aromantic, which is valid. Valid, yes. (laughs) So Charlie was also in the Order of the Phoenix, also fought in the final battle. uh, And then all I have for him is dragons, exclamation point, (laughs) and willing to illegally smuggle dragons. Yes. Multiple exclamation points. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Rule breaking, wild child. I had down um, Charlie Weasley, a jock. Oh, yeah, he was a Quidditch boy as well. He was such a good Quidditch player. He could have played for England. That's what people were saying about him. So he must have been, like, wow, fucking okay. good. Yeah. Yeah. He snuck into the Forbidden Forest a lot during school. Like, <laughs> he just fucking loved them <laughs> creatures, eh? He just wanted to sneak in all the time. So that's really breaking the rules and putting yourself in danger a lot. Mm-hmm. He, he's described as outdoorsy. He's a fucking unit. Like, he's ripped. He's got burns all over him. <laughs> Uh, freckles everywhere because he's always out in the sun. Loved creatures, especially dragons. He was a prefect, which means he had to have some kind of good academics going for him. Involved in the illegal trade of an acromantula egg, yep. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Is that from the Hogwarts mystery game? It is. I'm drawing a lot of stuff about- Spoilers. Yeah. A lot of stuff about Bill and Charlie I'm drawing from that game because it is giving us some insights into, like, more more stuff about their characters, so I'll accept it. Yeah, it does give us a lot. While he was working for the Order of the Phoenix, uh, he tried to recruit foreign wizards to the course. So that's a bit of uh, diplomacy, a bit of tact again. Mm-hmm. And was always just described as friendly and brave, easygoing sort of guy. Uh, this isn't necessarily on topic, but just while we're talking about Charlie and the Hogwarts Mystery Game, something that I absolutely love is that every single word out of that boy's <laughs> mouth in the game is about dragons. <laughs> like, he does not talk about anything else. It's fantastic. It's great. because in the books i always interpreted charlie as like you know someone who's got a passion for dragons and he loves them and he's made a career out of them but in the same way that i'm passionate about books and i love books and i've made a career out of books it's not every fucking (laughs) sentence out of my mouth is about books (laughs) that boy just loves them it seems more like a special interest or something it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like how, um, like, I remember learning about Asperger's syndrome when I was younger and how people say that they have a thing. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, 
um, a special focus. Special focus. A special interest is what it's called. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Because this is all he talks about. It's like, oh, bless this boy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great because dragons are good. And please tell me everything oh, about them. I know. They're like, honestly, I would want to be a dragon trainer too if I lived in the Harry Potter universe. Sounds awesome. I wouldn't because they're big and scary and I don't want to get covered in burns. It just seems like a hassle. <laughs> Maybe a dragonologist. Someone who just studies dragons knows okay. knows all about them. I'm more of a desk job about dragons. That's more my speed. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So yeah, anyway, I put him in Gryffindor. Um, I had maybe Hufflepuff, but nah, Gryffindor. He's a Gryffindor boy. I don't see any other house. He's Gryffindor to his core. All right. Percy. Here we go. Uh, Cracks knuckles. <laughs> controversial. <laughs> go on, Rhea. So, Percy, he fought in the final battle. But I've also written in brackets, only time he is brave, question mark. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, I've got a lot of stuff about Percy, not necessarily in an order, so I'm just going to say it all. Betrays his family mm-hmm. for his ministry job. Mm-hmm. When he's in first, when in the first book, he's reading Prefects Who Gain Power. That's second book. In the second book, yeah, is it? Yeah. One of the books, early on. <laughs> Prefects Who Gain Power, which is just great. <laughs> yeah. In the fourth book, in the months when Crouch is missing and insane, Percy was just operating as him and being like, oh yeah, Mr. Crouch is sending me increasingly incoherent letters full of instructions and whatever, I'm Crouch now, I'm running this department now. And he just didn't tell anyone because he liked that he was in control. Yeah. He becomes Scrimgore, Scrimgore, Scrimgower, I don't know how to fucking say that guy's name. The Lion Prime Minister's lackey. (laughs) In sixth book, when it's obvious that Voldemort is back, he won't admit that he's wrong and go back to his family. So he's got that pride. But he's also very hardworking and (laughs) the train's going past and being loud and stealing (laughs) my thoughts. (laughs) And even though he does go against his family and side with the ministry, you can argue that it's not just about ambition and stuff. It's because he wants to do what's right and he believes that that is what's right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's all my thoughts about Percy in a big jumbled mess. I have some other thoughts. Percy Weasley, stickler for the rules. Throughout all his time at Hogwarts, he's always about yes. order, following the rules, not getting into trouble, sticking your nose out of other people's business, that sort of stuff. Unless you're a prefect, then you can stick your nose in everyone's business and tell them what to do. He's <laughs> Because you're a prefect. <laughs> he's a social climber. Um, he wanted to come off as important and high class. So obviously he was a prefect, he had great academics and followed the rules, he was very ambitious. Like, Ron describes him as, as ambitious on three separate occasions. Like, um, mm-hmm. it's very stuffy and serious, obviously he turned his back on, on his family. Yep. He wanted power and control. Like you said, when he was running that department of the ministry, he did it because he wanted to be in control and he thought that he could be in control. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was getting a bunch of gibberish from his boss, but he was still making that department run smoothly. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't like the department broke down. He was still doing a good job in a leadership role there. Yeah, he got away with it for months. The only reason that he got caught is because Crouch showed up and was murdered. Yeah, that's the only- like, it wasn't his fault. (laughs) He was just trying to do what he could. Respects authority, and when he was in authority, he would demand respect. He was pompous, sophisticated- uh, highly opinionated and wanted people to know his thoughts on matters at all times. So it wasn't just that he had yeah. strong opinions. He voiced them continually. Mm-hmm. But he did have a humor streak, but it was well hidden. Like it was often like if it would be socially inappropriate to make a joke, he wouldn't do it. Yeah. 
I have assigned him as Slytherin. Mm, yes. Okay. Yep. So before we started recording this episode, I said to you, Jem, that I spent half an hour searching my freaking Tumblr blog, combing through it, looking for this one post about Slytherin Percy. I want to talk about this because it took me so long to find it. <laughs> I'm not wasting that time. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the things that made me really want to do this episode is this post that I saw about what if Percy was in Slytherin? It seems like he's the perfect Slytherin. And it talks about how he's reading prefects who gained power and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. But then it goes into what a positive reforming sort of influence Percy could have on Slytherin. It talks about him being like organizing clubs for first years so that they don't get bullied, which I don't think is how Slytherin works. <laughs> Making to-do lists and running bake sales and doing tolerance training and trying to create political movements, like unapologetically gaining power in Slytherin House, but also trying to shift Slytherin House towards a more muggle-friendly sort of way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I responded to that basically saying, this idea of Slytherin Percy is bullshit. Um, and I'm quite harsh, but I stand by it. And Gryffindor Percy, pre-Battle of Hogwarts, like, he fucks his family over for power, and he's just this ambitious son of a bitch. And I think that if he had gotten into Slytherin, he would be doing everything he could to distance Distance, himself from his family name and get in with blood purists. Yeah. Because that's what's going to give him what he wants, which is success and influence. Like, I don't see Percy as a bigot, no. but I don't see him pushing an agenda of tolerance when he knows that that's not going to do him any favors. And no, so yeah. He's the sort of person who, he, he will go along with what the group is doing, even if he knows that it's wrong. Yeah. When you were saying all that stuff about bake sales and tolerance training, I was like, no, nah, this isn't Percy. That's Arthur. Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what Arthur. Arthur would be doing. <laughs> and it made me think of uh, something in fifth book, which I'm only just now remembering as I speak, when Harry's like, oh, Percy fucked off? What happened there? And Ron's like, he had this massive screaming match with dad and he was talking about how, like, dad's never gotten anywhere at the ministry and his whole pro-muggle thing has always held him back and Percy's so ashamed to be from this poor family that's never going to get anywhere. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty sure that happens, right? I'm not misremembering that. Yeah. I just read the book. It's basically along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my take on Percy. And somebody else responded to that post saying that I'm too harsh on him and the entire fandom's too harsh on him. Percy Weasley like always does his best and deserves more forgivingness. And what they're basically saying is that he doesn't fuck over his family for power. What he does is he turns his back on his family and puts his faith in the ministry because he doesn't know Harry, he doesn't trust Harry, but he trusts the system and he believes that what the ministry is doing is what's right. Mm -hmm. And we actually have no evidence that Percy has ever compromised on his own moral compass because we don't really know that he's ever done anything that he believes is wrong. Maybe he just believes that he was right the entire time. Yeah, it's... We don't, yeah. Just basically saying that we don't know that he's ever compromised his morals for personal ambition, which, like, I, I'm i not jumping on the defend Percy train, but I felt like I should say that because yeah. that person's right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. I should be fair to Percy. Like, look, I, I think Percy, like I said before, he's a social climber. He just wanted to be respected and seen as important and, like, uh, a leader and a sophisticated part of the wizarding unit of society in the ministry. And so if ministry superiors, like the minister of magic himself 
as saying Voldemort hasn't returned. It's all a bunch of hogwash. It's just trying to derail our control over wizarding society. Then I think that idea would speak to Percy. It's it's a matter of mm-hmm. it's a matter of two voices against the whole world. <laughs> and I think Percy would yeah. p- apply his logical brain to be like, look, there's no evidence that Voldemort's back, and why? why point, poke holes in the system when the system works perfectly and he really admires the system mm-hmm. and the people that he admires are saying these things. So I think he just really wanted to impress them and to show that he was worthy and to prove himself. Mm-hmm. And so look, I think maybe, yeah, when sixth year obviously happened and Voldemort was returned, it was a matter of pride. It was a matter of he couldn't stand the fact that he'd been wrong and he'd been so wrong that he turned his back on his family and really hurt them. He knew he'd hurt them. Yeah. So he knew that he had to prove himself to them in a way, because it's like, oh, I've really fucked over my family and I was in the wrong, but I can't show weakness because that would be more disappointing. So I might as well just try mm-hmm. and show, keep keep a level head, show that um that I'm doing okay and that I can still be powerful and strong and that they won't be disappointed in me. Like that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that he'd be thinking like that. And he also, in sixth book, because in fifth book, he's just sort of working at the ministry and he's a bit in disgrace because he fucked up with Mr. Crouch. Yeah. But in the sixth book, he gets promoted to, I think, junior undersecretary to the minister. And all of a sudden, he's in in with the Minister of Magic. Yes. You can see why he wasn't like, oh, even though I was wrong, he doesn't go crawling back to his family for forgiveness. He's like, I'm on this path now. And even though I was wrong, it's I got to stick with what I did. Mm-hmm. And I've got to be in the ministry. I really saw it as like he was fucking over his family and what he did was wrong and unforgivable. But I guess he wasn't choosing between his family and like the power and recognition he gets at the ministry. He was choosing between the government, which he views as being reliable and strong and knowledgeable, and the word of a possibly mentally ill child who his family loves, but he doesn't really know or get along with. Yeah. Like, you can see why he did think that the government was right. Yeah. I think he actually says as much to Ron in a letter where he's like, I know you're very fond of Harry, but he's kind of delusional Mm. and maybe you should distance yourself from him. Yeah. (laughs) So in conclusion, Percy was a Slytherin, no doubt about it in my head. Like, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, he was definitely a Slytherin. I think he he chose to be in Gryffindor, or he influenced the hat in order to end up in Gryffindor because he wanted to live up to what Bill and Charlie and, you know, his parents' expectations of him by following the path they'd set down to Gryffindor house, prefect, head boy, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Somehow I've turned this into, like, the moral defense of Percy rather than is Percy a Gryffindor or a Slytherin. And also, Percy wouldn't want to be in Slytherin because Slytherins do nothing but produce dark wizards. I'm reading from Pottermore. Like, <laughs> that's basically yeah. the stigma around Slytherin. And that wouldn't look good if you want to get into the ministry, would it, Percy? Yeah, Slytherins are like those wealthy influencers, but I don't think a lot of Slytherins get very high into the ministry. No. There's people like Lucius Malfoy, who obviously hold a great deal of sway in the ministry, but there's also a lot of Slytherins like Crabbe and Goyle and um, McNair or something, who's the executioner at the Department of Regulation, Control, and Magical Creatures. Like, does Percy really want to be rubbing shoulders with those kind of people? I don't think so. No. Anyway, let's not talk about Slytherin. That's a whole other episode, which I have some thoughts on. (laughs) Capital T, capital O. Big opinions. Let's move on to 
Fred and George. Fred and George. Have you looked at them separately or together? <laughs> My first point that I've written here is um, Fred is slightly more uh, present in the books than George, usually being the first to act out of the two, mm. more outspoken than his brother. But let's face it, in terms of core personality, the twins are basically the same person, a package deal, if you will. So I'd yeah. put them into one category because, sure, one mm-hmm. a bit more outspoken, but they're the same person. Like, <laughs> Yeah, Fred's a bit more outspoken. George is a bit more... Uh, caring, I guess. Mm. Less, slightly less reckless than his brother, but whatever. They're basically the same. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Fred and George, I've got a question mark over whether they're in the Order of the Phoenix, because they wanted to be in the Order before they left school, but then after they left school, do we ever get confirmation that they're actually members? I don't know. I mean, they're part of the Seven Potter plan. That would indicate to me that they are in the Order. Yeah. But I don't know how much, like, they can do because they're running a business, so they can't exactly be committing espionage. Mm. They're too busy running a business. But, you know, a bunch of the members of the Order of the Phoenix are also, like, working at the Ministry, but I suppose that helps with the spying. Yeah. Anyway, may or may not have been in the Order. Yeah. They were definitely in the DA. They were part of the Seven Potters plan. Mm-hmm. They were running Potter Watch, which was obviously if the Death Eaters had found out about that and pinned it on them, that would have been it. They would have been tortured to death. Yeah, absolutely. They got into a physical fight with Malfoy and the other Slytherins at a Quidditch match, which is I love. Yep. Uh, they stood up to Umbridge. They were rebelling against her for an entire year in a way that sowed discord throughout the castle. Like, they were sort of turning the whole crowd against her, which is what I love. Yep. And then the other stuff that I've got for them isn't pro-Gryffindor stuff, so I might let you talk a bit and then we'll go into some of their other traits. Okay. I had down that they're pranksters, always dropping witty comments and making fun of people. Like, they're, they're joke boys. That's their main personality trait. Yeah. Tricksters. Tricksters is a good word because a lot of the time their jokes, both practical and otherwise, would come from a genuine place of dislike for the victim as a form of just desserts or bringing them down a peg. Sometimes just plain prejudice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely tricksters. Like what they did to Dudley. Yes. And what they did to Percy. Yeah, when they made Dudley's when they made Dudley's tongue grow out of his mouth and he couldn't breathe and it was all a panic. And that's what made Arthur say that thing about like muggle baiting comes from hating muggles. And they're like, We don't hate muggles, we hate Dudley because he's a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That came from a place of cruelty and wanting to exact not not vengeance. Just desserts. That's what tricksters do in mythology, by the way. So <laughs> in terms of, like, Percy, they would constantly be trying to bring him down a peg yeah. and to make him not act so pompous, changing his prefect badge that said pinhead and- Big head boy. Yeah. Sending mm. him dung to his office and just dropping it in his in-train and stuff like that. And then I wrote down as well- That's pretty cruel. What they did to Montague, the Slytherin, who we don't know what Montague did, but uh, they shoved him in a vanishing cabinet, which nearly killed him, according to Draco. So, yikes. <laughs> uh, I, we do know what Montague did, but I can't remember. He was saying something, and they walked past and they heard him saying something, and they decided to shove him in the cabinet. I can't remember exactly the details, but yeah, he definitely did something to provoke it. They weren't just like, haha, fuck this guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if they did be like, fuck this guy, especially if he was a Slytherin who was on the Quidditch team, because- yeah. Fred and George have a very big Slytherin prejudice. They, whenever Slytherins are mentioned, they're always like, ugh, yuck, and like all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's annoying. <laughs> like, I, I get it. All right, Slytherins are bad. Mm-hmm. They're very vocally anti-Slytherin. 
And that's funny because I pin them as Slytherins myself. Yeah, I see a lot of Slytherin traits in them. I also see a couple of Ravenclaw traits. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got that they're they're clever and they're creative and that they invent all of this stuff for their joke shop. Mm. And apparently, I think in the Ravenclaw Pottermore letter, it says that most inventors slash innovators in the Wizarding World are Ravenclaws. Yeah. So that's a Ravenclaw trait, definitely. Yeah. But then also, you know, their ambition to be these rich business owners and have this joke shop and blah, 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 blah. That's Slytherin. Yeah. The reason why they're doing the joke shop thing is because they want to get money. They want to be successful and have money. Mm -hmm. That's their ambition talking. And they work hard. They work their asses off to achieve that ambition. Putting themselves and others at risk Mm -hmm. to do so. So that to me is a Slytherin trait. Yeah. And like you said, their cruelty, their idea of dealing out this just desserts, that speaks to me of Slytherin. Definitely. They're also, they're not just willing to bend the rules, they're willing to outright break the rules or think that rules don't apply to them. Yeah. I think more so than the average Slytherin, Fred and George are like, nah, rules, nothing. They, yeah. they don't matter to us. They do have a cunning side to them as well. Yeah. I'm thinking of in the fourth book where they gambled all their gold away to Ludo Bagman and then he screwed them over by giving them leprechaun gold. Mm-hmm. And they spent a year very carefully planning, first of all, how to try and get their money back from him mm-hmm. and then blackmailing him. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember what they decided to do after that, but I think they they were like, we're going to get him. But then he obviously ran away and yeah. blah, 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 blah. And they were just like, oh, whatever, we can't pursue this anymore. Yeah, But yeah- Two, like, teenagers who are threatening, blackmailing a ministry official. That's Slytherin to me. That's big Slytherin energy. Yeah, it could also be construed as Gryffindor energy, though, because Gryffindors are stubborn, lack lack of regard for the rules, um, reckless. So that could be perceived as Gryffindor. But there's a lot of overlap between Slytherin and Gryffindor. And to me, the twins just seem to be more mm. on that Slytherin's end of the spectrum because because of things like their, I think so as well. their fierce ambition – and because, yes, they can have, they have a bit of a cruel streak. They feel like they can dole out justice because they're above the law. Yeah. I feel like Gryffindors tend to go more for the direct confrontation. Yes. Whereas Slytherins would tend to go more for the blackmailing you option. Yeah. So I see it in the way that they fought Umbridge as well. Yeah. Where, like, a Gryffindor option would have been more like, I don't know, challenging Umbridge somehow, like, directly and outright. To a duel, yeah, or something. Not to a duel because that wouldn't work, but... Like, setting up the DA was a direct challenge to Umbridge, even though they were hiding it. Yeah. Like, they did that as a big fuck you to her. Whereas, like, putting down a swamp in a corridor so that it ruins everyone's day and makes things hard and embarrasses her, that's more underhand and sneaky. It's not a direct threat, but it is a challenge to her. That's more Slytherin. And that's the sort of thing that they did. And also the whole escape with the fireworks and the brooms. They- like, a Gryffindor might do that sort of confrontation, but then they would take a punishment as well. Gryffindors stick around for the punishment. So they're mm. fucked off. They're like, no, nah, I'm too slippery for you. Bye. <laughs> and they're just gone. <laughs> no punishment. <laughs> so yeah. I think that was a Slytherin move too. Expel us. We'll leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, also, it was their plan to switch Ron with the ghoul in the seventh book and claim that he was sick. Yeah. I just like that. That's such a good plan that only they would think of. Yeah. So I see that they can be overlapped with them into Gryffindor, but predominantly I think they're both Slytherins. 
Yeah, I think they're Slytherins. Mm. I think the only thing that's stopping them from being in Slytherin House is coming from the Weasley family, all the Gryffindors. Yeah. Like, neither of them would have chosen to go into Slytherin. Oh, no, because they both hate Slytherin. Mm, they're very anti-Slytherin. All right. Ronnie boy. Ronnie. Ickle Ronnie Ickle Ronnie-kins. Gryffindor. I just wrote down Gryffindor. <laughs> like, <laughs> he didn't consider any other houses. He's brave. He's loyal to his friends. He's got the humor streak. He wanted recognition and glory like a Gryffindor. Very passionate. To me, Ron is one of the most archetypal Gryffindors around. I think so. I've seen people say that Ron's not very brave. That's bullshit. Ron, like, he goes on so many adventures. <laughs> Where's the receipts? Yeah. <laughs> he faces the Acromantulas at age 12 when he was petrified. Like, I know that's played for laughs in the movie, but because he's standing there, like, nearly paralyzed with fear, they're like, oh, he's not brave. Fuck you. That is bravery. That's so brave. That's so brave. He anyway. sacrificed himself. Yes. He sacrificed himself at age 11. Like, Acromantulus in year two. In year three, he puts himself between Harry and a yeah. mass murderer. In if year you four. Kill Harry, you'll have to kill us too. <laughs> age 13. <laughs> Going down into the Chamber of Secrets. God. Absolutely. A he's a brave boy. He fought in the final battle. He fought in the Battle of the Ministry. The Horcrux Hunt. People talk about, you know, like, he turned on Harry and Hermione. He abandoned them during the Horcrux Hunt. Yeah. Those are some of his worst moments. Those are some of his insecurities really doing a number on him. Newsflash, Gryffindors can be insecure and make mistakes as well. It's not just a trait of other houses. <laughs> I see people arguing that that somehow puts him in Hufflepuff, but like Hufflepuffs are loyal to their friends. So yeah, exactly. What's your logic there? Like if Harry- They're wrong. If um, Ron abandoned Harry and Hermione, that somehow makes him a Hufflepuff? What the fuck are you talking about? They're wrong. They're just wrong. <laughs> Oh, also, he also got in physical fights with Malfoy. Oh, yeah, punch-ups <laughs> on several occasions. He's been having to be stopped from punching someone or, like, just throwing his wand aside and kicking someone. Like, he's just, he's a he's a Gryffindor boy. He is. And finally, Ginny. Woohoo! I love her. She's another one that I think she's just Gryffindor through and through. I don't actually see any traits other than Gryffindor in Ginny. Ginny is another archetypal Gryffindor. Maybe even uh, more loudly Gryffindor than Ron is in my opinion. I think she's the most Gryffindor of anyone other than possibly Molly. Yeah, to be honest, she's definitely Molly's daughter. She's uh, forceful, energetic, strong-willed, speaks for herself. Do no harm but take no shit is her life motto. Yes. Not afraid to stand up to anybody. Underline anybody, because she stands up for herself and others all the time. Mm -hmm. She even stands up to Harry when he's in one of his rages in fifth book. Yeah. And that's notable, because even even Hermione and Ron, who Harry's best and closest friends would be afraid of him when, when Harry would get, would get into a rage and a screaming, shouting match. Mm-hmm. But Ginny would just fucking shout right back at him, like, how dare you? Get over yourself. Like, she did not give a shit. Oh, she's so good. Quick-witted, funny. Oh, book Ginny is so good. Oh, book Ginny is- The movies robbed us. They did. Like, if I could be friends with any of the characters in Harry Potter, it'd be book Ginny, without a doubt. Amazing. Great choice. Always makes others laugh. Yeah. Grappy. Really good at lying. So she has that, like, rebellious streak to her where she just <laughs> lies to people's face and gets away with it because she seems like an innocent young girl. She steals her brother's brooms and practices Quidditch. She's fierce. She's brave. She was in the DA. She fought in the final battle, in the Battle of the Ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, she stops people from bullying Luna, so stands up for what's right. Yep. And I've also written down anything's possible if you've got enough nerve, which is yes. so good. 
and uh, the fact that she's a trauma survivor from age 11 had to deal with all that shit that happened during Chamber of Secrets and she just fucking bounced back and yeah lived with it moved on kept her going she's the best I love her <laughs> mm. oh and was also able to turn that into like a healing moment with Harry in fifth book yeah where she's like oh if you think you're possessed by Voldemort why don't you come talk to me bitch because I was and I'm still here so fuck you <laughs> actual quote I think that's what definitely what she said <laughs> <laughs> so in conclusion <laughs> all of the Weasleys except Percy, Fred and George were Gryffindors and those were Slytherins yeah you could throw around some debate about Bill and Molly and Arthur but you know what those three Percy, Fred and George were definitely not Gryffindors and I will die on that heel mm. <laughs> but it is interesting how many traits from other houses the other members of the family have like you can make such a solid case for Ravenclaw with Arthur yeah definitely and even with Molly you could make a solid case for Hufflepuff just because of her pure compassion and love for other people yeah her nurturing and her hard-working nature mm-hmm. yeah ultimately I believe they're both Gryffindors at heart so my question is I guess my final closing question is if if we have decided and we have decided that three of the Weasleys were not Gryffindors then why do you think that they are in the books? Like, besides the whole, oh, another Weasley thing, do you think, what was JK trying to tell us? Did she just not really care about writing these characters all to be Gryffindors? Or did she just put them in Gryffindor and go, yep, that's decided, no one's going to question it? (laughs) She could have tried to make them more Gryffindor with their traits, but she didn't. They're very distinctly these people. It's not like they flip and flop from book to book. On a more meta level, I truly think that JK was just like, all of the heroes of the story are in Gryffindor House, and that's the way it is. Yeah. Because we know that JK values bravery, and she thinks that's the best trait that somebody can have. So she's like, all of my good guys, all my heroes, they all are bravery, they're defined by their bravery, and they're in Gryffindor House. Mm -hmm. I don't think much more thought went into it than that. (laughs) If she then wrote, like, Fred and George to have this cunning, vicious side to them. And this cleverness that doesn't really match up with the idea of what a Gryffindor should be. Like, whatever. Hermione's like that as well. Hermione, you can make such a case for Ravenclaw or Slytherin. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, like, there is that definitely that tone to the books of all the good guys are in Gryffindor and all the bad guys are in Slytherin. But then we have just a mess of other characters mm. that are definitely heroes. Like Tonks, undoubtedly, she's described as a hero. Hufflepuff. Yeah. Same with Cedric Diggory. Mm-hmm. I think they're the exceptions that prove the rule because both those examples that you just gave, Cedric and Tonks are both minor characters that come in much later in the series. Yeah. Like Cedric's only around for basically one book. Like I know he's there in the earlier books, but yeah. he's around for a little bit. He does a couple of very important things and then he dies. And Tonks also is around for a little bit, does a couple of very important things and dies like much later. She dies in the final books. So that doesn't really count. But Tonks isn't like, she's not Hermione. Hagrid yeah. isn't in a different uh, house. Your central characters, the main important ones that we're supposed to be like, these are the main characters of Harry Potter, they're all in Gryffindor. And actually, now that I think about it, both Tonks and Cedric, even if they're considered heroes that are from other houses, they're considered heroes because they died, right? They sacrificed themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Gryffindors can be heroes without dying. I guess. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. That's a good point. <laughs> There's the team. <laughs> the thing that makes Tonks and Cedric heroes is their bravery and their self-sacrifice. Wow, great point, Jem. 
Same with Snape. Snape suddenly becomes a hero now that he dies. And he's the bravest man Harry's ever known, even though... <laughs> listen to our episode on that, listeners. Yeah. Fox. And one thing that I hate, the, my most hated part of the series, is when it's going back through Snape's memories and Snape is off doing something. And Dumbledore turns to him and says, oh. sometimes I think that we sought too soon, implying that Snape should have been in Gryffindor, which is wrong. Snape was a Slytherin. It just grinds my gears. Yeah, shut the fuck up, Dumbledore. The fact that people get sorted at age 11 and just nothing will ever convince me that the person that you are at age 11 is the person that you are your entire life. So if you can change so radically throughout your adulthood, like how does that affect what house you should be in and how you should be sorted? I know that doesn't matter because it's just like, this is just the group that you're in while you're at school. Get over it. It doesn't have to be this huge part of your identity. <laughs> but it is it in is. Harry Potter. People define themselves by their houses, even when they're in their adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, like, honestly, I think we've got so much over time, but there's a lot to be discussed about. Yeah. The way Gryffindors are framed, the way Slytherins are framed. I could talk for 10 years about the way Slytherins are framed in the series. There's a reason why we chose to focus in on the Weasley family, and it's because it's such a huge topic, we knew that it would expand out into a billion episodes, and we just don't have time for that right now. <laughs> so, in conclusion, I've been Jem. You're convinced that Percy and the twins were definitely Slytherin's host. I've been Rhea. You're convinced that Hagrid was a Hufflepuff host. Also, why is Dumbledore in Gryffindor? Fuck that guy. He's a Slytherin. <laughs> Next. <laughs> <laughs> get a chance to mention it in the episode, but I'm dropping it at the last second. Dumbledore shouldn't be in Gryffindor. <laughs> End of episode. Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9and3quarterspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters, or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at SmashMouthRhea, and Jem is at Jem underscore JustGem. Please feel free to send theories or ask questions, and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was The Weasley Stomp by Nicholas Hooper, and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.